the problems of sitting at the front is you don't know how many people behind you. And so seeing all the children go, you know, I was sort of thinking, well, you know, perhaps there's no one. But it's thank you for staying here. That's really good of you. Um, let's, uh, uh, we've heard the scripture read to us, and it's a very familiar passage to us. Um, but let's just uh, hold that before God and keep a moment's quiet as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And although it be familiar, we ask that you will cut through that familiarity, uh, that you will come and it will touch our hearts. We will learn something of the principle of your love for us, something of the practice of, that you expect of us to live it out. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to be with you, and it's great to see uh, familiar faces and to, to meet new friends and to be with you. Um, I'm from Scargill. I'm, uh, my wife is one of the chaplains, and so I generally say that I sit around and do nothing most of the time. Uh, but I, I'm actually looking at the fundraiser, and I've already noticed who has been giving you money, so that's good. Um, j- just to give me a bit of an idea, uh, how many of know of Scargill, are familiar with Scargill. Oh, that's good. That's fantastic. Okay, thank you. Hands down. Um, In the email that Lisa sent to me, she said, we're doing a series on 1 Corinthians, and um, uh, and 1 Corinthians 13 is well known. So uh, tell us about how a community works at Scargill. And I thought, this is a bit of a dangerous dangerous ask, that. Um, But this morning, what I really want to do is to say something about the principle of God's love for us, and the practice that we outwork, um, both as a Christian community, uh, but also how some of the practice that we do at Scargo. Is that okay? Good. I'm glad you said yes, because that's what's going to happen in any case. Um, and, uh, and also, um, I think this is sort of penultimate um, uh, uh, one that you've been doing on the 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, one of the great things about being a visiting preacher is you can drop your bombs and you can disappear, you know. Uh, so uh, I only wish I was here when you did 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Now that would be really interesting. Um, but you have to tell me how that went and how you found that as you went along. I think um, uh, the series, how, many, how long have you been doing it for many weeks? I get the impression you've been doing it from the beginning of creation. It's, it seems like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Actually, I like the, the title. It, it's very good, isn't it? And the, the title, as I understand that you've been given, is um, Prevention is Better Than Cure. That's what 1 Corinthians uh, Lisa has uh, portrayed it as to, as to you here. Um, and I think there's something that we can learn from that title. Um, because, you know, cure is sort of sticking a, a plaster on. Um, it's what we do um, when things have gone wrong. Uh, it's not what we would want necessarily to be doing, but prevention is something that we do at the beginning, who we really are. And I think what that speaks to me about, on this, uh, particularly on this chapter, is that this is part of our DNA. Uh, so as we're talking about the principles and how we work that out in practice, um, this isn't a sort of um, ancillary a- area that we think might be of interest that we do on an odd Sunday in, in, in July. But this is at the heart of our faith. 
if you were to cut us through like a stick of rock, you would see this running through. We're dealing with the stuff that is right at the heart of us. And as Paul was writing, and we start with the principles looking a bit at the biblical material, and then we look a little bit of some of the theology. That sounds really grand, that does, doesn't it? That's good. Get back, sit back and enjoy. And then we look at some of the practice of it. But as we're looking at the biblical material, and this was written by Paul a couple of thousand years ago, as I understand it, for most people, they would perhaps had a couple of understandings of the word love. They would have understood filial love. They would have understood the love of a parent for their child. They would have understood a brother or sister for a brother or sister. The love of a child for its parents. And so that's the sort of... If you like a structural love, uh, you know, you've got to do that stuff. You know, you, you don't choose your parents, do you? <laughs> don't choose your parents, do you? Or your brothers, or your children for that matter. Um, they're who are given, and we love them. Um, and that's quite powerful. And then there's this erotic love, this love for, um, for um, I mean, nowadays we particularly look at it as falling in love. Um, but the love of a, a man for a woman, uh, as we said earlier, well, we didn't say anything earlier because it gets more complicated than that. Um, but that, uh, if you like, that frisson, that sexual attraction that makes us work, um, and uh, that frisson uh, gets us uh, uh, going, and you've got the obligation, if you like, of the filial love. But here is Paul introducing what we are known, we know as the agape love. Um, and what is startling about it is that it is love for the undeserving. It is love for somebody who we might find unlovely. We could pause for a moment and you could think, and I find this difficult to do because I have to do it as well, and you think, who, is the, who are the people that we don't love? Who are the people who are the least that we would want to meet? And yet Paul is saying, at the heart, prevention is better than cure, our DNA, at the heart of what we are, we're asked to be those that love people like that. And that creates a bit of a problem. And I, I spent some years looking after night shelters, and I realized that you know, I was on a white charger, and I was... Uh, the representative of the, of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the homeless people, and I would go into the uh, GLA, the London Authority, and sort of sort them out. But then God spoke to me and said quite clearly that actually it's not just the homeless people that you're representing and that you love and that you care for and that you do this work for, but it's the people who you're talking to in the GLA offices who you consider the baddies. Actually, God requires you to love them. And we could talk about the wars that this country has seen. And if you cast back to, um, uh, well, you, most of you can't cast your memories back. No, I can't. I'll let you know that. I can't cast my memory that far back. But, you know, you go back to uh, the Second World War. And, and then you come further forward and you come to the, 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 the Rwandan genocide. And then you come to the contemporary situation of, of ISIS. And you see that although they're different wars, there is one constant within them all. And that is those people cannot stand the other. 
So whether it's Hitler with his preoccupation with the Aryan race, or whether it's a, a Hutu, uh, Hutu against Tutsi, or whether it's uh, a particular brand of Islam that the ISIS ha uh, have, they cannot stand the other. And yet God is saying to us, if you cut us through like a stick of rock, you will find the love for the other. And the biblical material here in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know so well, there's, uh, in the first few verses, there's three things that we might want to know. And that is in verse 2, you find that um, you're talking about people that um, uh, uh, say the right thing. So whether, you, you know, they're, they're really irritating people. <laughs> they're so irritating, aren't they? They always get it right. They always say the right thing. But whether we look up to them because they say the right thing, if they do that, and yet they haven't got this love that I'm portraying within them, actually, they may as well not be saying that at all. In verse 3, you'll find a reference to faith. You'll find a reference to knowledge. And again, those really irritating people that know everything, you know, um, on our community, we've got uh, some people like that. You know, whatever you say, whatever your area of expertise is, they will top it. They will know more about it than you do. For goodness sake, it's my area of expertise. I know more about it, yet they, they, they know more than I do. And yet, if they haven't got that picture of love within them that I've been portraying to you that comes from God, they may as well not bother. And then in verse 4, there's a talk about action. And at the earlier service, we were thinking, remembering just recently, we've had the 100th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme. And I find this very sobering, whether young men, largely, voluntarily or involuntarily, coerced or not coerced, um, the British Army had its greatest loss in a single day in the whole of its history. And yet, if that action was taken and it didn't involve love for the other, as difficult as it seems to say, it means nothing. And love for the other means our enemy. So that's what Paul is talking about. And we can look at the theology of that. And I, I, I think... I think that our generation, and I use that phrase rather loosely, I once said about our generation to somebody who was in their 30s and all they did was laugh. Um, <laughs> and I was younger then as well. Um, but our generation, I think, has missed the trick. Because what we've looked at, you have, I've preached on Trinity Sunday on too many times, and you have this sort of uh, theoretical construct of the Trinity as being Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, you don't know too much what you're saying about, you can't remember what you've said, and the people perhaps go away not knowing. But actually, it, it was uh, the writing of books like The Shack that have brought it clearly to us. That we are Trinitarians. We're not Unitarians. We are Trinitarians. And therefore, within the Trinity, there is a relationship between those three different people of the God. One God, but three different people. And there is a relationship between the Father and the Son. And there's a relationship between the Father and uh, between the Son, well, between the Father and the Spirit, and the Son, the Father, and the Son, the Spirit, and the Spirit and the Father, and the Spirit and the Son. And we have lost so much that that is our understanding of who God is. 
But that is three distinct, different people. They're not all white middle class, got the same education. They don't all come from Yorkshire. Actually, I've learned that from this church. It's nice to find some fellow southerners here. <laughs> Incidentally, I'd just like to tell you that those of us who come from the south don't speak with accents. I'd just like you to know that. <laughs> this is when you'll get up and go out. But that relationship that is between the persons of the Trinity, that difference, and yet that love. And the love that we're talking about is the love that exists between those three different people. And it's a love that is stronger than death. It is, as we said this morning, it's an unconditional love. And so today is the 24th of July. It's my wedding anniversary. Hey, that's good. I thought I'd get you to get a bit of response there. Uh, and I suppose if I were to look, and, and, and over 34 years we've had our ups and downs, and um, Jackie's been quite uh, solid in the way that she has stayed by me in all my <laughs> idiosyncrasies, uh, my good and bad. Um, and perhaps that's the nearest I've seen to unconditional love. And yet compared to the love of, the, of God, that, that isn't. That isn't what it. That isn't great, but that is what we are called to, to love, the other. So that's the principle. That's the biblical material, if you like. That's the a little bit of the uh, theology about from the shack, um, who God is. Actually, we could talk about Walter Wink. Um, some of you might have heard of Walter Wink. He's a theologian, um, and uh, I think he's American. They all are. Um, and um, he had this young lad, I think he was a university chaplain, this young person came to him and spoke to him and blah, 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 did the normal stuff. And then the young man went away. And tragically, the young man then went and committed suicide. And what this, this was a, a, a key moment for Walter Wink, because it made him aware that he had to love the other. That was the calling of God upon his life, to love the person that is different from himself and to love the other. So let's, in our last five or so minutes, think a bit about how we do this in practice. And it's quite clear. I mean, we're on a journey together. I'm not telling you how to do this because you know as much as I do. You've just bought the premises next door. You're going to have a cafe there. So at the heart of this fellowship is this love for the other. But of course, a fellowship is made up of individuals. And we have a habit of going to Sunday lunch, doing the afternoon, and then going and doing what we do tomorrow. And the question that perhaps I want to leave with you all is, how does loving the other affect me in what I'm doing this afternoon and tomorrow? And so some of the practical outcomes. And one of the key things about Scargill, and I think this is so important, we're about eight nationalities, the community there, about 30-odd people. Um, our age range, well, we've just got um, little Emily, who's uh, just over one, and she was born there. The, uh, Andy and Judy left community, and then they've just come back for a visit. Um, so we, I can tell you that she's there. And the difference in age between little Emily and our oldest person, who I won't tell you who he is, because you know, um, is about 70-odd years. 
And so we've got a 70-odd year spectrum. We've got male, female. We've got eight nationalities. We've got different uh, um, background, spiritual backgrounds. And it's that diversity that is so important. If we became the white middle class or whatever it is, community on the hillside, we'd be lost. We would have missed what we're about. But as Christians, we're called to love the other and we're called to show that love. And we, if you like, try to embody it. So where is the surprise then that with that mixture of people, uh, all we actually really do, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the director, so I can say what I like, but it seems to me that actually all that we do is we give hospitality, we step back and we let God do his stuff. And that's the way it works. Because God is sovereign in the context of the person who is loving the other. And that's what God calls all of us to do. And then my job this morning really is to hold up the mirror to you and say, actually the premise is next door. What's it going to look like? What does it mean for me to love that really obnoxious neighbour of mine who plays loud music at two o'clock in the morning? That's difficult to love. But actually God calls us to love the other. On um, what, what, um, uh, uh, Community, uh, you may know that you know you can't have Christian community because you just like being together, Uh, and so um, Christian community for us has to have a raison d'être, has to have a reason for being. Um, Some Christian communities are therapeutic communities, so people go there who need healing. Our community is about hospitality. It's about this hospitality of God, this hospitality of the Spirit, if you like, hospitality of the Son, this welcome of God of the other. And so intrinsic to what we do is is how uh, God calls us to go out and love different people. So one of our aims is the marginalized and dispossessed. And so we, as I said, well, my own personal journey, I I came to Skaga to start off with because I was working um, with homeless homeless people. I thought uh, I inherited uh, someone else's vision and I thought, what on earth are we going to North Yorkshire for a holiday for homeless people for? And then... Two or three years later, that's where I live. So it can't be bad. Um, but it, it, it's actually at the heart of it. It's the marginalised, well, at the heart of what we do, part of what we're doing is the marginalised and dispossessed. And so we have the asylum seekers. We have the homeless people. We have the people uh, from uh, disadvantaged families. We have the people with learning difficulties. We have people of other faiths. And they come together and we seek to show them love. And we do that, and uh, our, our community, Lisa said to me, give some stories. Well, I don't know about all the stories, but um, so we're, our raison d'etre is to give hospitality. By the way, I ought to be saying this to the young people because they might want to come and spend a gap year with us. But you can do that. You tell them to come. Um, but <clears throat> part of what we're doing is to, is to show that love. Um, and we have, uh, we believe, our particular understanding of community is that we're a community that worship together. So worship and prayer, our chapel is big enough for all of us and all of our guests. And we eat together. Our dining room is big enough for all of our guests and all of the community. And we also make promises. They're Christocentric promises. Christ is the Lord. It's Bible reading. It's prayer. It's looking after each other. It's, it's preaching the gospel. It's care and concern for one another. Some of you know it because you're companions. You've made them. And so those three things, that we worship together, 
that we eat together and we have promises. And the question perhaps that you might have is how do we do that? How do we show God's love? How perhaps do we eat together? On, on, we have a community day on Tuesdays, which is our, our day of being together. And we have um, a session in the afternoon where we break bread and we share fellowship and whatnot, all else. And then in the evening we have a, a, perhaps a study time. And that is the time as a community. So whilst we're serving, we're also preserving who we are. And whilst you're doing what you're doing next door, and that will take uh, perhaps maybe take a few years to do, but you have to preserve who you are here or else you'll be very guilty of building the church, but not building the church. You would have built the church building, but you won't have built the church people. So it's so important that you preserve each other, that you take care of each other, that you welcome other people in, and that you build the church people before you build the church building. Time's going, better finish. Um, Leave those thoughts with you. But let us at the heart remember this, that God calls us to love the different person to ourselves. And the challenge that all of us face is who is that and how do I do that? Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment to think afresh about who the other is for you. Actually, you might not want to make it the most difficult person to love because actually that's starting in a difficult place. But I want you to identify, if you'd like to, if you can, somebody who you don't get on with and somebody whose life, your life, will overlap with this week. And having found that person, and this is the difficult bit, think about how it would be for you to show love to them this week. So whether you'll see them Monday morning or Tuesday afternoon, what is it you would do for them that shows the love of God, the love for the other, the love for the different person? And you know what's coming next. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, you know the difficulty of the way that you call us to. Help us to be those who not only believe, but act to show your love. And as we've mentioned these people before you, help us to show them your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.